great harvest amongst those who are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Lake Church. How's everyone this morning? Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to, uh, I believe we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to try to expedite this lesson so we can take more ground this uh, time together than we did last time. Um, what I'm uh, about to announce is very exciting, that Vision 2020 is complete. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, we are not going to be, uh, of course, we're going to have more projects and more things that God has called us to do, and we are going to endeavor to do them. Um, however, that particular, praise God, we believe God, and uh, He came through, as He always does. And so we're on the finishing touches and going to be doing some, uh, you know, little tweaks, you know, to the youth center, but it is operational it's functioning, and I'm glad for that. Amen? And so excited about that and excited that, praise the Lord, we're moving on to bigger and better things. Amen? Do you believe that? Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, and I've entitled this, In Time Marriage. In Time Marriage. <clears throat> you know, in the age of eHarmony and in the age of Match.com, the divorce rate is still the same. It fluctuates from 40% to 50% of all first marriages end in divorce. Second marriages go up in the 50%, uh, uh, 57% to 60%. And then as we go into third and even fourth, we're looking at higher 70-80% divorce rate. So what that tells us and what that should uh, you know, give us insight into is that no matter what relationship we're in, we bring in who we are. We bring in who we are, and uh, so we need to evaluate ourselves. We need to stop being window Christians and be mirror Christians and begin to look at ourselves. Um, you know, eHarmony, Match.com started talking about compatibility and things of that nature. And remember, those commercials were all over in the late uh, 90s and then the early 2000s. And uh, they're still used today. I see it pop up on my timeline every once in a while. But they would basically evaluate you based upon your compatibility, whether you had shared interest and things of that nature. I can tell you that Karen and I's relationship would fail those tests just a big... F, because that's not what has glued us together. Uh, compatibility has not glued us together. Jesus glued us together. And so what we're desiring to do here is we're endeavoring to address the reason why we're having some of this, because, you know, you look at the statistics, and I looked them up and researched this quite a bit, uh, Oklahoma is 30% higher than all the other states uh, in the United States in the realm of divorce. In fact, we are the second highest state that, uh, that, uh, in divorce. We are right under Nevada. Now, that can't be good. That can't be good. We're right under Nevada. You know, that's where you can get married by Elvis, you know. So... Uh, but, um, you know, Sin City, you know, uh, Reno and things of that nature. And, uh, and here we are, the Bible Belt, you know, the, the ORU, Rama, and all the mega churches that have been birthed out of Oklahoma. And yet we have the highest, the second highest rate of divorce. It doesn't bode well for what we're doing. Amen. And so we need to address this stuff. Now, when I was in Bible school, they told you that there were mainly four areas in which marriages struggled and four reasons for them to go into a cycle of death. And the first one was money. And, you know, when it came to money, it wasn't, uh, you know, necessarily, you know, the attitude towards money because we didn't have any. Okay, so it was the lack of money that we fought about. Amen. Now... You, you, you know, you begin to see in this culture, it isn't just the lack of money. 
It's our attitudes towards money and our philosophy about spending money and operating within that realm. They can cause issues as well. And so there's kind of, it kind of mutates into other areas of our life. Covetousness, workaholism, you know, various things that come in because of money. And then the second one is sex, uh, which is basically the lack thereof, okay? Sex, okay? Look straight ahead. No one will know. Sex is a major issue, but in this culture, in this end-time culture, it's not only, you know, couples participating and having, you know, consistent sex lives. It's also the advent of the Internet, the fact that pornography is so easily accessible and that we live in a culture that is highly sexualized, okay? You know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to had a proclivity towards pornography, there were obstacles for you to have to overcome to be able to do that. You had to do the walk of shame, you know. The walk of shame was go to the convenience store and try to steal one. Or Now, I'm not telling off on myself. I'm just, but anyway, so you had to do the walk of shame. And that shame kept you from doing certain things. It kept you from, from uh, getting uh, illicit material. Now you have a phone where you can access millions and millions and millions of pornographic images and videos at your fingertips with that little or no effort whatsoever. Uh, so it complicates marriage. That's the reason why I called it end-time marriage. We understand that money is a problem, but money has mutated into other problems in the end times. Sex has mutated into other situations. And just like the four primary colors that make endless colors or make more colors, these things are mutating and beginning to spread out into areas that we haven't had to deal with before. The next one is the belief systems of the individuals in the marriage. Uh, they would say this would be religion, that you would fight over religion. I don't see necessarily people necessarily fighting over religion as much as I do personal beliefs about, you know, what kind of church they should go to, what the church believes, things of that nature. And there's a lot of yoking, unequally yoking in, in the, the body of Christ. Uh, being unequally yoked isn't just uh, believer, unbeliever. It can be believer and unbelieving believer. <laughs> so, you know, you've got, you know, different yoking. So if you've got someone that comes from a more traditional background and you've got someone that comes from a Pentecostal background, that can cause problems. Paul said that people who are married are going to have trouble in the flesh. How many have found that to be true? You're going to have trouble in the flesh. Well, why would you complicate that by getting yoked up with someone who doesn't at least have some of the same vision and beliefs that you do? But many people do. They'll marry a Baptist girl when they're fully into, you know, the Pentecostal way, and they don't think that, you know, there's going to be any conflict. There's going to be conflict. You'll, you'll have people that aren't raised in church, have no proclivity towards church, but may have been newly born again, and you're a part of a Bible-believing church or a very strong church where they speak in tongues and want the Spirit of God to move, and it can cause clashes. It can cause problems in your life. So you've got to wait. You've got to trust the Lord. Amen? And there's not a whole lot of trust in the Lord when it comes to um, how we cope with loneliness. And that's really a lot of reason why people get married today. They don't want to be lonely. No one wants to be the cat lady. Come on, no one sits out there. I'm going to be the cat lady. I'm going to be the, you know, the guy that lives with his mom in the basement. Nobody sets out for that stuff. Nobody puts that on their, you know, their goals, their, their vision list. <laughs> Nobody does that. But it happens, doesn't it? It happens. And people are afraid to be lonely. And sometimes they don't understand that, you know, loneliness, <clears throat> you know, when you're with the Lord, you may be times in which you are uh, lonely, but you're never alone. A prayer life will help you in your pursuit of relationship. Come on now. 
getting with the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord can fill the gaps that you may be feeling and feeling lonely. You know, you're never alone with him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And what I see is a lot of believers that don't cultivate a relationship with the Lord and they want another person to fill the gaps only Jesus can fill. And that sets your relationship up for absolute and utter failure, okay? Then it's children, and there are fights about children. But see, one of the things about end-time marriage is that children today, and I'm going to say this very lightly because I know no one in here has this problem, but children become idols, No one here, though. No one here. Children become idols where your service is all to them. And really, it's motivated by fear, isn't it? It's motivated by, I want them to have a better life than I had. I don't want them to go through what I went through. And you know what? Those are legitimate fears and legitimate concerns. And you know what? That is a wonderful motive to do that. But how many have raised kids and realized you can't protect them from any of that? There is absolutely no way. They will intentionally go the wrong direction after you. You know, this is what we envision in our lives when we talk to our kids, especially our older kids that are out of the house. You know, they come to us and say, Dad, you know, I'm facing this situation. Um, you know, what's going on? And then, you know, I'll sit in my sagely way and I'll just, I'll just give out the, 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 <laughs> these golden nuggets. And, and this is what we want them to do. Father, thank you. Thank you for thy wisdom. I will obey for you know the right way. Come on, don't we? Don't we? Don't we want that to happen? But you know what happens is, is they go, All right, all right, Mom. All right, all right. I get it. I get it. I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. And then they go off and they do what they do. Come on now. You want to know the greatest lesson of history? Is people don't learn from history. That's the greatest lesson of history. And it's the same in relationships as well. A lot of the things that you saw in your mom and dad's relationships or the lack thereof is what you're going to bring into the relationship because children don't do what you say, they do what you do. See, they, they take in what you do and how you behave. And if you're constantly aggressive with one another, that's going to be their dinner table in 10 years. Okay? So these things kind of, you know, tether out. But I have never seen, uh, people have doted over their children. In fact, the baby boomer generation was doted over by their parents because their parents had experienced World War II. So there was, they came from a, a, a crisis, and so it caused them psychologically and sociologically to kind of begin to really emphasize kids. And then we've seen in our new day, now <clears throat> millennials, millennials uh, have a different ideology into which they're not really into marriage. Some are not into marriage, and, and some of them are not into kids. I've met a lot of the younger generation that say, you know, I don't want kids. I don't want, you know, I've, I've got goals and dreams and plans, and I don't want kids. Now, that's, that's fine. That's, you know, I'm not here to, you know, bust you on that situation, but I'm here to tell you that, uh, you know, many times we set ourselves up in that way, and we live unfulfilled lives, because God designed marriage to be a blessing to you and offspring to be a blessing to you and, and to bring your line into the world. So there's a great blessing in being married, but with 40 to 50% divorce rate, I could see why people would want to steer clear 
I, would, I, I could see why people seeing what's going on in our schools and in our culture, that they would refrain from wanting to have children. I understand that. But God is bigger than all that. Amen. He is bigger than all that. So if you've got those four, uh, you're going to primarily, if you're going to do any kind of marriage, we can't call it marriage counseling anymore, marriage encouragement, you know, maybe, or, you know, some, we can't call it marriage counseling. But if you were to counsel someone in their marriage or encourage them in their marriage, you're going to hit those four. It's going to be a root of those four. But what I've seen in the end time uh, marriage is that these things have kind of morphed into some things that I have never had to deal with as a encourager of marriage. And many pastors have found themselves beating their head against the wall of things that they never thought they'd ever have to address. Now, the Bible addresses all of it. And the Bible is, has shown us that this is going to be what it's going to be in the end times. But I never felt that I would set across from a teenager who was wondering what sex they were. I never would have thought that, you know, uh, the LGBTQ ideology and, and, and way of thinking would permeate so strongly in our young people to where there is no truth in the area of sex whatsoever and that everything is open to personal experience and personal preference. I, I, I just didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I knew that these things were, you know, ramping up in the earth. The Bible talks about these things very explicitly. But I, you know, for us to deal with these things, those were not things that I said where we're going to be having a problem in that area. But, it, but here we are. Here we are. And so now uh, the teachings on marriage are actually considered hate speech. Tra uh, what is known as traditional marriage is seen as archaic, unintelligent, not intellectual, and foolishness by many in our world. We have modern marriage, which started at the, um, basically the um, industrial era to World War II, and then we have the postmodern era marriage, which is what we're living in here today, all right? So I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and it says in verse number 1, And you were dead in the, tr in your, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Everybody say, course of this world. Okay, we know that the word world means cosmos, and it means system, order, and arrangement is what it means. It means uh, the ideas and the philosophies of a, a society or a culture that hem it in, that define its barriers, define its walls. So we could actually say this, and Rick Renner brings this out, and he is a uh, Greek scholar. He says that this passage of Scripture says that we walked according to the uh, philosophies, ideologies, and thoughts and cultures of our particular time that we lived in, our set time of culture. Okay, So that's the reason why some cultures wouldn't embrace some of the things that these, this culture is embracing. And so every generation, it's as if the enemy upgrades the matrix with some new ideology, some new thought bomb that gets into the culture where people begin to take on and begin to accept things that previous generations would reject. Okay? And this has been done in, in, farm, in the terms of sexuality, uh, in, in terms of, you know, um, gender fluidity, things of that nature. These are things that previous generations would scoff at and would consider lunacy. But then 
you have um, generations that totally accept this as the norm as absolutely the norm and that we are absolutely cavemen and cave women to even think that we could go back to the archaic ways of the Bible okay but here's the thing that the devil knows in order to attack something you have to attack it at the systemic root of it you have to attack the nucleus of it you have to attack its basic you know form and the basic form of humanity is marriage that's for humanity to thrive and survive and do what it's called to do marriage is at the nucleus of it the family is the building block of humanity now people will say well it's the building block of civilization well that's true but civilizations are built on ideologies God built humanity based on a man and a woman coming together and procreating children and becoming husband and wife and having a family. That is the nucleus. That is the building block of all humanity. In fact, the name Adam isn't necessarily a name like Daniel. Adam means man, it means humanity. So Adam and Eve are both called Adam. If you look in the book of Genesis, they're both called Adam because they represent humanity and the building block of everything that God desires to do in the world. Okay? So now we have an attack upon that foundation. We have attacks upon that continuously chipping away at the idea that it is a man and a woman, the idea that two people can live together, and because of evolutionary mindset, now we have this idea that men can't stay with women, and that they're excusing sinful behavior because of evolutionary design. So they're getting very complicated in their attacks against the, the fabric of humanity because the devil knows that if he can distort and twist that fabric and cause it to be compromised, then he can create what he wants. And he's doing it. He's doing it. Now, how many remember a book by Stephen King called The Stand? Now, just look straight ahead. No one will know that you read it. Anybody know that 1978, The Stand? Okay, all right. Very interesting, because I believe that the devil uses people too to bring about, to, to speak forth what he desires. But if you look at The Stand, you see this. You see that there's a great plague. Sound familiar? There's a great plague, and this plague, it, it destroys a large portion of the population. And two varying ideas about how to rebuild society begin to come in place one which is this character that is like the devil and then one with this character that's like a prophet of God and they're attracting people to themselves in this side and that side and they're basically coming into a clash with one another now Stephen King probably one of the most prolific channelers of demon spirits to ever walk the face of the earth and write it with proficiency okay begins to show that the demonic aspect of it had all uh, lines that were blurred sexually lines that were blurred in in regards to all kinds of vices and sins and it was do what thou wilt and then the other was based upon community and love and self-sacrifice. Stephen King knows better than some liberal Christians that this stuff is wicked and evil. Stephen King, not Billy Graham. Stephen King. Do you understand that? But there are some <coughs> liberal Christians that think that love is love. That marriage can be defined differently than how God defined it. 
And that causes problems in end-time marriage because of what you're having to deal with culturally and sociologically because of these ideas. And basically, it is postmodern thinking, which is probably one of the most primary uh, schools of thought that come against the basis of the Bible and the, the microcosm of humanity known as marriage. Are you awake out there? Okay? Notice that you walked according to your set times or patterns of your culture, your ideologies. The, the, what, what, what the group think was is what you walked in. See, it's getting harder and harder to be on the fence. There's the, the gray area is diminishing. It is squeezing you in. And if you're in the middle of two schools of thought, you're going to find yourself having to make a choice. You're going to have to take a stand. And that's what that whole book was about, taking a, a stand. All right? We're going to have to take a stand. In order to bring about the power that is inherent within our marriages, we must raise the pristine standard of our marriages. Amen? So let's talk about postmodernism for a minute. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Now, notice the characteristics of it, okay? This is what they teach in colleges, even Christian colleges. Postmodern thought which is there is no real truth or absolute. There is no real truth or absolute. Everything is situational. Everything is based upon my experience and the context of what I'm going through. But we know that that's not, that's not the truth. We know that's not the truth. See, the more divine life I want to experience, the more I have to line myself up with this. If I'm going to experience divine life in my relation, are you guys quiet because I'm, are you just bored? Amen? Listen, divine life is imparted through obedience to the Scripture. John 17 says it clearly. He says, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ. So the degree of of eternal life that, that is in my life is based upon my knowing Him and my knowing of Jesus. The more I know about Him, the more I know, the more divine life is going to be in that area of my life. Amen? And so there's no real truth. There's no absolute. Now, <clears throat> family, this is, this is postmodern thought, family is the basis of learning about self. Now, we live in a narcissistic culture, do we not? We live in a culture, TikTok culture, you know. We're dancing and doing our groove thing, you know, for how many minutes they give you to be able to be on TikTok. And so we're doing, you know, the, the no bra challenge, and we're doing uh, the, come on, we're, we're shake your rump challenge. I'm serious. Guys, look at it. Look at it. It's, it's, just, it's just narcissism. Now, when I was growing up, I was so not confident about my own body and about my own life that to do that stuff would have just, it would embarrass me. It would embarrass me. But I'm telling you, it is no holes barred. They will do that all day long, every day. And there, there are people that will, I began to investigate it, and, and I just had to realize that I don't need that in my life. Because there are people that will TikTok 15, 20 times a day and do the same thing and ask questions like, do you find me attractive? Would you date me? Do you like thick girls? I'm, I'm, I'm just quoting, guys. I'm just quoting. This is stuff. This is narcissism. On one end, we've got, don't objectify me or sexualize me. 
On the other end, we've got, look at me. Do I look good? Do I look sexy? Would you date me? What are you saying here? We're living in a world of confusion, and it's because there's no absolutes. Just whatever I feel. And that I define myself by my family in the sense that I learn about me because that's the subject that I like. I like me. What are people thinking about? Themselves. They're not thinking about you. Oh, people will think about well, they're not th I can tell you that right now. They're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about themselves. Me. What does me? It's not really about, oh, I want to learn about mom because, you know, she had an interesting life and I can learn some life lessons. No, it's about I'm going to learn about myself, you know, in regards to how I think about my mom. See, because what I think is canon. It's canon. It may not be true, but it's canon. It's sacred to me. I believe this. And everybody has their own interpretation about how their family screwed up. Come on now. They've got their own reasons. They've got their own conspiracy theories. And they've got their own, because guess what? It's all about me. All about me. Well, we saw that. Let's, let's turn over in the scriptures. You don't believe me? Well, we can turn over to Second Corinthians, uh, 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 Second Timothy, Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter three. Now, notice this set time of culture. We're talking about the end times. He says, "But understand this: that in the last days, so that would be end times, would it not? There will come times of what great difficulty." For people will be lovers of what? Themselves. They will love themselves. And boy, you can see that on the internet. Or as I call it, the interweb. The internets. You know, all the various things that old people say about it. But uh, you can begin to see that they are lovers of themselves. And they love money. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. See, now we see the mutation of sex and money. Highly sexualized culture, highly greedy uh, situation in regards to money. It's going to get worse. The end times and the end time marriage will face problems with sexuality and will face problems with money. And it's not just lack of money. It could be abundance of money. It could be the fact that you make more money than your parents did. It could be the fact that you have become a workaholic and you don't have any time for your family because you love making money more than you do spending time with your family. It could also be that you have goals and ideas that are not steeped in what God has called you to do, but yet you want to achieve them because your pride will not allow you to let go of them because you consider it failure if you don't go through with it. When you really need to abandon and lift your knife to it and get rid of it, you won't do it because it, your motivations are wrong. Your motivations are impure. Your motivations aren't steeped in Christ. Are you okay out there? You all right? It's the truth. People are getting divorced because the man won't come home. People are getting divorced because the woman doesn't want to come home. She wants to achieve. She's sold in to this feminism idea that I'm equal with my man, and i got to bring home the bacon just like he does, and I've even got to outpace him. I've counseled uh, uh, couples that have tried to compete with one another their whole marriage on how much money they can make with the degrees they've got. This is sick stuff. But that's what's facing end-time marriage. End-time marriage. We're, we're beginning to, to see these mutations of the four basic reasons why people have trouble in marriage. They're beginning to mutate into areas that we've never seen before. Okay? And so it says... First off, it says lovers of money, proud, 
the number one reason why people get into adultery, they get into um, you know marriage issues, and they divorce is pride, personal pride. They will not say I'm sorry. They will not repent. They will not say forgive me. They will not say I was wrong. It's one of the hardest things in marriage when you're fighting with your spouse is to ever say I was wrong. I'm wrong. I saw it wrong. Forgive me. It's one of the hardest things. You can say it to your coworker. You can say it to your boss. You can say it to your neighbor. But you can't say it to your spouse. There's a demonic spirit that tries to keep you from saying I'm sorry and saying, you know what, I messed up. Because to do so is to cause the leverage and the balances of your home to be shifted in their favor in your mind. And that's what you're fearful of. You're fearful of loss of control and the ability to manipulate in a situation. Oh, I'm preaching way better than you're saying amen. This wasn't said at first service. The unction's here. Hello. And here we are, fighting and bickering with one another, using various forms of witchcraft, casting spells on one another to try to get each other to see it our way and to do it our way. And it's all steeped in pride. My way or the highway. This is the way it's going to be. We're going to do it this way, and that's the way it's going to be done. And there's no exceptions. And there's no, if I don't, you're going to pay. If you go, you go the wrong way, you're going to pay. Because I'm going to freeze you out. I'm going to withhold what you need until you see it my way. And that has nothing to do with the love of God. It has nothing to do with how God builds a loving relationship. We don't need, you know, we don't need to come through the blood of Jesus and then operate as witches and warlocks. Amen? It's just, it just ain't going to work. But pride, pride, just not being able to say, I'm sorry. You know, when you try to say you're sorry to your spouse, do you find that your mouth has a pri- it kind of just kind of locks, like you got locked jaw, you know, rabies has come in, so you've been bit by something, and that rabies has gotten in you, and you just got locked jaw, and you just don't want to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So you'll go get flowers. You'll go buy a necklace. You'll buy a car. I know people that have bought houses and cars just because they can't say they're sorry. Saying you're sorry is cheaper. (laughs) But your pride is such at a high price. It's worth more to you than anything that you're not willing to sacrifice that. And you'll give anything to preserve it. I've sat across from a lot of people, and they'll say things like this. Well, they never say they're sorry. They never say I was wrong. They've never said, you know what, I really wasn't right when I did that. And that's all they want. That's all they want is I'm sorry. That's all they want. But the price is too high for some people because their pride won't allow them to. Amen? It'll be over in a minute. All right? Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Listen, a lot of the reasons when you go out on a date with somebody, young people, and you are introduced to their family, and you eat with them, you need to watch that table like a hawk. And you need to watch how your prospective spouse or wife talks to their parents. Boy, woo, that that was like a scud missile. But it's the truth. You you, you better, you better see how they talk to their parents because that's how they're going to be talking to you. 
And if they're talking nasty and using harsh language and being condescending to one another and being critical of one another, guess what? That's going to be your dinner table in just a few years. So watch it. Amen. I've got this little list thing that I tell people to do when they're dating. You know, see how they act with their parents, but see how they treat waiters and waitresses. That's a big indicator because if they'll treat them bad and throw a fit because they didn't get their bread on time, what you think your bread is going <laughs> to? You think your bread's going to, you know, secure the savage beast? Uh, <laughs> no, no. And the more they act out in public, it's ten times worse in private. If there's not some restraint and self-control in, pri- in public life, there's not going to be any in private. They don't have good manners, smacking their food, and just coming out and talking. and just you, you, You're going to have a slob. You're going to have a slob. You see, dating is the big sell. You know that, right? It's the big sell. They wear the best shoes, the best clothes, and they actually go to the gym while they're dating. Hello. But once they get married, it's kind of like some of you guys that get your deer. You know, you, 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 you hunt and hunt and hunt, and then when you finally get your deer, you want to sit in the sofa and look at the mounted buck that's on there. And that's what, come on, that's what some men do, is they hunt and they get the wife of their dreams, and they want to hang her on a wall, and they just want to look at her and not do anything anymore. No hunting. They don't pursue her anymore. Hello. They expect her to look like a supermodel. And his chest has slowly went downward. (laughs) Come on now. It's the truth. It's the truth. I mean, goodness. Men do one of two things. They either... Put their pants real low. See, listen, because I have the same waist I had in high school. It's just it's six inches lower, you know, just six inches lower. Or they go real high. So you're out to eat with them. They say, that'll be 32, 45. I said, okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. You ever seen them? You know, and it's just. (laughs) Eat a salad. (laughs) Amen. Now, I'm speaking to myself. I'm not exempt exempt from it. There's been times, you know, I've told told this story. You know, one of the things you've got to understand is in end-time culture, because of sexualized society, you have access to images of women and of men all the time. So you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. See, we're talking about love. I'm not going to be able to get into it today much. We're talking about agape love. Agape love is the love of a decision. It means I willingly love you regardless of what I feel. I'm not based my love upon your feelings. Because you know what? You're going to tick me off. You're going to make me mad. And I'm not going to feel good about you all the time. But I choose. See, that's how God loves us. God loves us by choice because it's who he is. See, you are a love creation of a love God. The same love that God has is on the inside of you. So the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. So you've got to make a decision. Am I going to allow that love to flow? Am I going to allow it to flow? Or am I going to be, you know, in bondage to my feelings? Because that's really where a lot of divorces happen is feelings about stuff. Well, I feel this and I feel that. And, and you can feel those things so deeply that you think those are absolute and utter truth. And they're not. Well, you always and you never. When you start using those words, those are words only God can use. Never and always are not things that finite human beings can give. 
because we don't know about never and we don't know about always because we have a, a beginning and we have an end. Only God can speak that way. Amen? Okay? So, um, what was I talking about? Go ahead, Greg. Tell me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the waistline. Okay. <laughs> but but dating is never, um, you know, the initial date is never how you should judge whether that person is right for you. You know. Um, you need to pray and seek the Father and get the witness. You need a word and you need a witness. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for anything else but that. Amen? So you've got the agape love of God on the inside of you. So that means that I choose to love my wife. Now, my wife and I, over 36 years, have been different shapes and sizes. Okay? Whatever shape, I love it. If you look at her, you see what I'm attracted to. If you look at her, you see what I think is attractive and beautiful and something that I want and desire. But some relationships, they look at other things and they begin to compare their relationship with body types that are not achievable in the natural they are fabrications of Photoshop. And they are people that are starving themselves for a photo shoot. Hello. That is not how... I mean, I saw a picture of Vin Diesel without his, you know... And I'm telling you, he looked like the guy I saw down at the, at the shop changing my oil. Come on. I mean, he... He did not look like, you know, big old Vin Diesel. He was just a normal, every, and most of them are. They have, you know, but yet will compare and say, well, you don't look like so-and-so. You don't look like, and uh, people having crushes on other people. Um, spouses saying, oh, well, I just love this, or I just think she, no, your spouse. If you're not turned on, by your spouse. And that is not the only, that's the only switch needs to be turned on. I remember I was uh, with a group of people and they were just talking and making fun and having a good time. But they said something that just really, really uh, rubbed me the wrong way. Because I never think like this. But they were talking about a particular star and they said, you know what, if, I'd just have to sleep with him, you know, if, if he propositioned me. I'd just have to. Uh, my husband would have to understand. What? What is going on in your mind? That shows me your secret world's messed up. You, get, you, got, you got a weird fantasy land going on. Well, if he, he jumped off the stage and asked me to marry me, I'd divorce I'd divorce my husband in a split second and go off with it. These are people talking. Now, they're trying to make jokes. They're trying to be funny. But my goodness, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaketh. Don't be saying that stuff. That's demeaning. Don't be having pinup girls in your phone. And gals, don't be, you know, Jared Leto or whoever you think is, you know, the, the hot commodity what's that one that you like or what, what? <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm just kidding <laughs> amen hello I'm, I'm speaking to someone in the you, you know listen if your wife is a certain size, that's what I assume that's what you're attracted to. And you should be. If she's a uh, 12, 14, mmm, 
If she's a six and seven, mmm, whatever. Because listen, as you get older, you change shapes. Hello. You got to be into whatever shape she's in. If you've got a short wife, I assume you like short women. If you've got a tall wife, I assume you like tall women. If you've got a brunette, I assume you like brunette women. If you're blonde, I assume you like blonde. Do you see what I'm saying? Like what you like. Stop looking at other pictures of other women. Stop comparing your wife to someone else. I'm speaking to men, I know, but there's ladies that do this as well. You know, there's ladies that do this as well. Okay, all right. So it says um, unholy, ungrateful, unholy. I'm telling you, a lack of gratitude will kill your marriage. If you do not operate in gratitude with one another and be thankful for one another, you know, I'm telling you, there's, there's something that will kill temptation if you travel a lot and you're away from your family. And, uh, you know, there's temptation, you know, through uh, what the motel offers and, you know, uh, situations. Or in, you know what? Lift your hands and begin to thank the Lord. Begin to thank God. Oh, I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful. You'll find that that temptation will be stayed because you've got your mind on the right things. Why, why would you ever want to hurt somebody you're grateful for? But the devil wants to numb that, you know, and make it to where, you know, uh, you only think about what she doesn't do. You know, what she's not giving you. I tell married couples all the time, there are certain things my wife will never be able to give me. And there are things that I will never be able to give her. Okay? It's just not going to happen. Other relationships may have certain aspects of that, and I might look at them and say, man, that would be nice or whatever, but there are just because of personality, because of upbringing, because of various things, I'm not going to get that. I have to be okay. I have to be okay with that. I have to say, you know what, Christ, you're my sufficiency. I'm not going to look her to fill my voids. I'm going to be grateful for her and for what she brings to the table because I can't do this without her. Amen? I remember my mother, I told this earlier, my mother used to always say that Karen did not have a good hospitable manner. Okay? And that was usually when she called. Okay? When my mom called. How many ever had a monster-in-law? Okay, that, that's when some of you just are like, you're afraid to say it. You're, you're afraid. She'll hear. <laughs> Got surveillance cameras. In. Is he online? Is he online? Monster-in-law? Pimp daddy? Come on. The daddies that can't let their daughters go? Mamas that can't let baby boy go. Umbilical cord is attached to the, to the, you know. You see a picture, you know, of two people with a preacher right here, and they're dressed in there, and there's an umbilical cord, you know, going down to mama down on the front row. I mean, I'm serious. That was part of my life. First five years of our marriage, I didn't know how to deal with it because I loved my mama and I loved my wife. The Bible says leave and cleave. I didn't know that. And my mama sure didn't know it. Okay? So she calls, she calls up. I guess Karen doesn't answer the phone pleasantly like she wanted. And so she ends up calling me. She says, Greg! She said, uh, Gregory Vincent heard. He said, Karen didn't talk to me very nicely on the phone. Does she talk to everyone like that? I said, yes, she does. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> Boy, she zipped up. She didn't say a word. You got to take a stand. You got to choose a side. You're either going to cut the cord or you're going to continue to let mama, you know, Hello, dictate to your life. There's a lot of marriages that end because mama can't stay out. 
There's a lot of marriages that end because daddy can't stay out. Meddles, tries to give money, tries to do that stuff. You're not doing them any favors. I'm saying some things. But see, we, we got these. A lot of these problems are, are not just end-time problems. These problems have been around, you know, since the garden. But guess what? They're exacerbated by the times we live in. Because, you know, we've got a divorce rate that's climbing. You want to know why it's climbing? COVID. COVID. The lockdown. People are having financial distress. People are, they're sick of one another. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are people that have been isolated with one another. They're ready to kill and eat one another. They're absolutely ready to rotisserie up their spouse. I'm serious. I'm so sick of him being around. I'm so sick of her being around. There ain't enough puzzles, brother. There ain't. I'm serious. And we're seeing a rise. You're seeing a rise in mental illness. How many have seen videos from where people are losing it at McDonald's, losing it at Kentucky Fried Chicken? Because I'm serious. There's video after video after video of people losing their mind at Subway because they didn't make it fresh. I'm serious. Losing their mind, cussing people out, road rage. What's the reason? The isolation of the lockdown. People are now getting more free, and they, 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 what they did, they didn't pray and seek the Lord like we all should have done. They began to watch Tiger King and things of that nature and take in a diet of crap, and now they're wondering why they've got such cruddy lives. That's what crisis does. It either reveals the greatness on the inside of you or it receives that you're just a jerk. Hello. And this is what we're living in. See, the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And it says, And love your neighbor as yourself. So they're all tied together. In order for me to operate in divine love, I've got to first love God. My love of God will cause me to have a healthy love of me, which will in turn cause me to be able to love others. See, if I don't have those things in alignment, majority of problems I have in relationships is those three things aren't in alignment. They're not in alignment. My walk with God isn't where it needs to be. Thereby, it causes me to look differently upon myself, which causes me to treat Rebecca a certain way. You understand what I'm saying? So it's all tied in together. And we want all this love and we want all this affection from someone and we can't even give it. We can't even give it. We can't even give it because we don't have... It starts with God. See, that's the problem. Marriage problems start with God to solve them. He doesn't create them. But if you're going to solve any problem in a relationship, the first relationship you've got to look at is where am I at with God? Am I walking with the Lord? Am I, do I have a consistent connection with Him? And when I know that that's taken care of, then I know that I can access the love of God that's shed abroad in my heart, and I can start seeing myself as this Word declares. I can start seeing, yes, I have some issues. I've got some problems. I'm able for God to speak to me and share with me, hey, I may be part of the problem. Most people don't want to get to that point. They want to pray about their spouse, but they don't want any answers. It's just like people, oh my goodness, it's just like people that come to counseling. People don't come to marriage counseling to get answers. They come to be able to rag out the other one and justify their behavior in regards to what they're doing to them. They want an audience. They want a judge. They want to be declared, I am okay here. I've sat across from people say, 
I haven't done anything wrong. That shows me your connection with the Lord is not where it needs to be. Because if your connection with the Lord, you would come in humility, you would extend grace, and you would be merciful. I've run out of time. Boy, that's good stuff right there. That'll help you. Amen? See, when you're with the Lord, man, when I'm with the Lord, when the Lord touches me, when I'm not walking with the Lord, I say, you know what, that Kirby counts. I tell you what, he is so unstable. He's so unfaithful. He's so this. You know, I'm, I'm constantly looking at, but boy, when I get with the Lord and I pray, I don't talk that way. I go, man, I love that Kirby. I just really appreciate him. He's just a blessing to me. See, it changes everything, doesn't it? But when I'm not connected with God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, you know what? She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. I, I can't get this. I can't do that. I, I, what, what am I gonna do? I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do this. But when I get with the Lord, I say, man, I appreciate her so much. I'm so grateful for everything she's done, and I begin to take evaluation. It changes everything. Marriage issues being solved starts with God, not a counselor. Well, we got to go see counseling. No, pray. Seek the face of God. I'm not saying that counseling in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, guys. I'm not against counseling. But a lot of marriage issues, my friends, they just need a little time of prayer. They don't need long hours. Well, I think my insurance might get us some care. No. Guys, pray first. Seek the Lord. Talk to somebody and say, could you pray with me, Noah? Could you, could you, you know, help lift up my relationship? Could we, you know, and then allow the Holy Spirit to, to talk to you and stop looking at her or him and start looking at you. Go to the mirror. Don't go out to the window. There's people always saying, well, when they need to be going, didn't Jesus say that? I think he might have somewhere in the Bible. He might have said, Why do you seek to take the splinter, the speck, out of your brother's eye when you got a two by four in yours? I mean, when people are walking around, you turn your head and they duck, you know, you got a problem. <laughs> no, you got a problem. He said, First, remove the beam out of your own eye, the offense, the um, judgmentalism, the aggravation, the discontentedness, the discouragement. Get rid of that. And he said, you'll be able to help. Well, a lot of people in marriage, they just want to beat each other with their two-by-fours coming out of their eyes. Bam, bam, bam. No, Go to the Lord. Extract it. Get rid of it. A lot of the reason why your fights are energized is because you haven't taken the beam out. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to just drop the mic and leave. All right? Okay? You're not fighting about what you're truly fighting about. Most people don't fight the real thing. Amen? Well, I've run out of time. We're going to have a good time next week. Got one service, so I'm going to lay it all on you. Three solid hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to shellack you with this stuff. No, but this is good stuff. You know, this is, uh, this is called uh, my vegetarian delight because it's all vegetables, okay? It's stuff that, you know, roughage that gets to where you're full of and pushes it right out. 
Amen? And that's what we want to do. Amen? Praise the Lord. Nope. Amen, amen, amen. Just got a few announcements for you guys, and you can go grab some lunch. Uh, first off, if you ordered a pie through the Pies for Missions, they are out in the lobby if you haven't already gotten it. Um, and I believe there's some extra ones, unless they sold out after first service. There's some like silent auction things going on out there, so you can pick one of those up. Um, secondly, if that's a word, boom, both books are in the, in the bookstore out there, so you guys should check those out. Train and Secret World, uh, both from Pastor Greg. Good stuff, good material right there. And then lastly, um, February. I don't know if you guys have heard or not, but John Ramirez, the evangelist, is coming. Dude, if you, have, if you don't even know who I'm talking about, go listen to something on YouTube about the guy. Listen to his testimony. He was a general. He'll tell you this. He was a general in the army of Satan, <laughs> and he had a crazy experience, and I'm sure he's going to be sharing that, but it's going to be ridiculous. Tell anybody and everybody to get here, but you got to get registered, so go online and register. It's not like it doesn't cost any money doesn't cost but but seats are limited um and so get registered online for that if you're planning to attend um no service wednesday so don't show up and then like pastor said one service on sunday next week so hope you guys have a great thanksgiving enjoy time with your family and friends and uh, we love you so you're dismissed <laughs>